I'm reading from Exodus 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. 
You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. <coughs> Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so that they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. And Omer is one-tenth of an ephah. I had a great privilege this morning. I, um, Facebook's a great and dangerous thing, but it is a great thing as well as a dangerous thing, depending how we use it. And about a month ago, I got in touch with as many of my primary school class as I possibly could. And it was revealing and it was great to just, I haven't seen them in 40 years almost. So it was really um, quite amazing the ones I did get in touch with and um, they told me something about some of the others. And, and um, one of these guys lived very near the school and literally I haven't seen him since we left primary school. But this week he, um, he sent me an email I'll not mention names, but he said to me, I want you to greet a member of your church for me. I worked with this person and they had uh, just a wonderful, wonderful faith and trust in God. That he was a real Christian gentleman and when I went through the bereavement of my wife, I was inspired by how he went about his life. So I shared that with the person this morning. And as I was singing this, I realized this is a possible, that the holiness of God can be revealed in us. It was from a friend, Adrian. He saw in one of us, and that person would be very humble and be asking the questions all day, where? But they did. This is what we talk about when we say we're particles of light out over the hills of morning or the city of Belfast. And the exciting thing about this is that that person has retired a number of years. But the legacy of what we've left goes with us. And that's something of what we're trying to do in this series. We're trying to Dig deep so that we might become those people that are free souls to be <clears throat> revealing Jesus high and lifted up in 
real pragmatic and practical ways in the places we live and work. But we're also, as I want you to remember over the first two weeks, or for those of you who weren't at the two weeks, we're not bringing these as whips to whip ourselves with and to give ourselves guilty consciences because for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And we want to wrap it in the love of God, that this is God out of his love for us, saying to us, you see that? Or what about that little area? And I thought it was great what is it with Anna? Chris and I can do it and there's no fault with a video machine. Anna goes to do it. Video doesn't work. Anna gets up to the front. There's so Poor Anna. But anyway, she told that story wonderfully because she had to because, bless her, the video wasn't available to her. But that story of God's love, no matter where we've run, should allow us to have within us this morning the grace to see that what we're not going to do in the next wee while is a telling off. It's God's concern that we might just allow more light to sneak out. What are the enemies to that happening? This is relevant in that I know three of us, uh, not the males, but their husbands, uh, but their wives, three of us are expecting to uh, give birth in the next few weeks. I always like to be relevant to what's happening in the congregation. So let me take you back to Janice's labour, if I might. <laughs> oh dear. Now, the thing is, you see when I say that, there is no need for those around you to say, you get them later. There's no need for it. She'll get me later anyway. Um, uh, we were, it was, it was lengthy. Caitlin wasn't in any rush. Um, still isn't in many ways, it would seem. And... Um, but epidurals had been had. You don't want me to go into all the details. But, um, and we were in that phase of, it was almost nothing was happening. And um, it was February, um, just coming into the morning of the 23rd. Well, we were further into the morning because the sun was coming up on the Lisburn Road. We were in the old Jubilee. <laughs> we fought for it. We lost it. But sure, there's great things happening in the same piece of land now. But anyway, I was at the window looking out. And I could hear birds beginning to sing as the sun came up and there was a magpie down below. And I thought, I need to get this down. So I went over and I pulled out a paper towel from the paper towel rack and I found a pen and kind of tried to write what was going on. And some of the words for those birds that I was thinking about, and I wasn't aware when I was writing it that I was actually getting into the Sermon on the Mount where the birds and the trees are, you know, they don't have to worry. I, I wasn't aware of that. I was just writing what was there. But I wrote this um, rhyme and couplet, I guess. Um, They're oblivious to the sound of the city because I could hear the Lisburn Road beginning to get noisy, um, just a distance from the Jubilee. But the birds, they were going about their business. They were oblivious to the sound of the city. They live far from the clutter and fuss. These noises we've made to distance our souls from the things that are happening to us. Now, we were in a particular moment of what was happening to us. It is sacred ground in some ways. It's something. But what we were learning from Van Morrison's work last week is that it's always happening around us. I read Hindford Street last week, a poem of where Morrison grew up. And as I read it, 
I was actually emotionally and spiritually moved in the reading of it. The way he was able to go back to this little claustrophobic street in East Belfast and find in it something of the eternal, something that led up his life, something of dreaming in God. And um, we were fortunate enough to have been given um, some gift vouchers to go to Gilgore Manor, which for me wasn't that exciting because that's where I grew up. And I was thinking, you know, you could think of somewhere, you know, more exotic to Newcastle even. I'm, I'm an interim boy, I never go there. But there I was trying to sneak past my uncle's house and didn't because his wife was at the bins at the gate when we drove past. <laughs> Uh, realizing the next morning that if we'd been in the hot tub at the wrong time, my cousin was in it while we were eating our meal upstairs. It's not the kind of place you want to try and get away, but having said that, having read Hindford Street on the Sunday night to be back home on the Wednesday and the Thursday morning, I looked out and I missed the beauty of that area. I missed if I was looking down a tree-lined river with the carry that my dad used to call it and the water rushing over it, listening to the water rushing over that carry, thinking, if this was in British Columbia, we would think, wow. And there it is a mile from where you grew up. The things that are happening to us. They're happening to us all the time if we would stop and open our eyes to what's going on. So that's what I was trying to do at that moment. And the clutter and fuss of the Lisburn Road was to me the noise that got in the way of seeing the spiritual, the divine at work. Why do you say all that? Because it seems that the clutter and fuss could be the greed or the avarice of this particular deadly sin, but for us an enemy to free souls. That the clutter and fuss the busyness of our lives, the schedules, the diaries, all the stuff we have to do, which is far more for this generation than the last generation. What that does is it stops us. Ian Archer was doing a songwriter circle yesterday morning and he read a book about writing, but it was written in the 30s and they talked about idle time and the helpfulness of idle time, just pottering. We don't do that now. There's some channel we can watch. CSI's on 24-7 if there's nothing else on. We can, there's people to see. There's things to do. There's all this clutter and fuss. And most of it is driven, I guess, in some way by an economic market that wants us to watch that TV program or shop in that mall or do something because the bottom line has become profit. I was in Guernsey a few years ago and um, Brian Houston and I were over in Guernsey doing a weekend um, and um, we, we sat around a table um, with this guy called Rudy and I think Rudy was the richest man that I've ever sat around a table with. Um, he and his mate took a helicopter around Portugal to test all the vineyards to see which one they thought was the best before they bought the bottle. And um, he spoke about this 4,000 bottle of wine. Now, well, I'm a Presbyterian, I wouldn't know. Four glasses, five wee ones. And uh, how he kept that for his birthday. And then you're thinking, well, who do you give it to on your birthday? You can't give it everybody that comes to your party. So he was talking about all this, and Brian being Brian, who's very forthright, 
He just said to him, uh, how is it to be that rich? How do you deal with it? I'm a little bit more, you know, um, might have got there after five years of friendship, but not on the first meal. And, um, <laughs> but Rudy looked at us and he said, if you're not generous with it, it will kill you. I try to be generous. Doesn't go to church, doesn't believe in God, has incredible vastness of wealth. But if you're not generous with it, it'll kill you. First Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Now you see, that's what we're trying to get to today. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we're back at that point, and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. If you're not generous with it, it'll kill you, it'll destroy you. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul to Timothy. Greed. And many times we see it as a materialistic thing, a financial thing. And that, if you look at the Bible, right from the start right through, there's certainly advice. There's certainly warnings about the dangers of this kind of greed, particularly for money. Amos rages against the people. And one of the things he rages against the people about in chapter 3 and verse 15, I will tear down the winter house along with the summer house. You sense that he feels that there's too much going on? The houses adorned with ivory will be destroyed and the mansions will be demolished, declares the Lord. Why was that? Because in order for those people to have that, other people didn't have it all. They were walking on the poor to make themselves rich. And we have to ask ourselves those questions. I mentioned South Africa before and I have a friend there called Andrew who works for different charities. And when he spoke to my students one year, he said to them, I live in a place where I have to make decisions every day. He said, if you live in Belfast, your sweatshops are probably in Thailand. The people who work in my sweatshops, I drive past their township on my way home for my tea. They are in my face. I see them all the time. That affects how I've decided to live my life. And we in the West, we in Northern Ireland, perhaps because we don't drive past the townships, even though in the Lower Ormo, where we're trying to come into this partnership with Mornington, is one of the worst health areas in the whole of Northern Ireland. What? A quarter of a mile from where we're worshipping? We need to realise that something of the balance of enough is out of kilter because most of us have more than enough. There's a balance there. And we've got to open the eyes of our hearts. We've got to look deep down inside and we've got to ask some serious questions. Jesus, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me to judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. 
Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store these crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store the surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Drink, eat and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Jesus, you can't serve God and money. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Seek first the kingdom of God and these things, the things that you need will be added to you. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. We move into the Acts of the Apostles and by chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira are gone because of their greed, keeping something back that they promised to the people around them. And what we find, if we could go into it in more length, is we find that this greed and this materialism affects three things. It affects our waste and our green issues. Our Care for Creation group would be saying, preach it, Steve, because as we, as we use up the earth to fulfill the greed of this generation, we suck those things that would have been available to the next generations out for our own good. Are we prepared? And I'm asking myself, are we prepared to cycle to leave some oil for your children's children? No, we're not. (coughs) Would we wait on the Lisburn Road for a bus for 10 minutes so that our children's children might have something? No, we won't. We want it. We want it now. We deserve it now. And we are greedy for it now. So we will leave the earth in an awful state for the next generation because of our greed. Or the injustice. The sweatshops. All around the world to clothe us if Tim McGowan was here I could get him up for three minutes and he would have you on your feet and he would say if you're wearing or if you've eaten and by the time we'd finished we would all know that we've been involved in some kind of injustice around the world so that we could sit as we are today other people have had to suffer injustice but it seems that the Bible isn't as interested in those two things as it is in the core thing which is this It kills us. It destroys us. It ruins us. It distracts us and stops us from being who we were made to be. And so, God seems to have a spirituality of enough. I love Mary's Canadian accent. I love the outs. You know they're Canadian when they're out and about. Although she was disguising it a little bit this morning. But reading that incredible passage about the manna. God supplying need. Just enough. Can't take more than enough or it will ruin. 
just enough for each day seems to be God's economics. Or in the New Testament, what do we pray for? God, give us all the possessions that we see on the television so that we have a Hollister t-shirt like everybody else has. I said that because they're all out, so they're not listening. (laughs) No, give us today our daily bread. Enough. What we need. There seems to be a spiritual economics going on with God. Now, I'm not slamming capitalism here or the making of money or business empires. Well, empires maybe, but that might have to go on. But what we have to do is we have to see it in the light of the spirituality that we have with God. I mean, David Beckham, 250 million pounds to play for LA Galaxy. Have you seen many other games recently? He's been there two years and I'm not sure they've won a game since he went. 250 million pounds. Now, is that enough? Is that David's daily bread? What is? Because I imagine he needs to get more than a Presbyterian minister. Because I imagine that he raises maybe 50 million of that by just the name that he has on the back of a football shirt. You see, it's not all black and white. We're not saying, well, I get 30 grand a year, so David should get 30 grand a year. But 250 million, is there a time when there is enough? It seems that God wanted us to see spiritually a time when there would be enough. Why? Because a devout life does bring wealth, but it's the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. That's how Eugene Peterson translates that passage in 1 Timothy 6 that we read earlier. A, de- a devout life does bring wealth, but it's, it's the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. Tim was at the songwriter circle yesterday morning. He mentioned Paolo Nettini's uh, pencil full of lead. I'm not a Paolo Nettini uh, addict. I couldn't do the gospel according to just yet, but I think Tim McCoy's thinking about it. Um, but in that song, he's just got enough water. He's just got enough bread. He's just got enough... His pencil's full of lead so he can write. He's just got enough. And there's a sense where he's going to settle for enough. Where our treasure is, our hearts will be. If we're distracted, it's only a baby leaving a pew. We've seen it before. If we're distracted by a baby. No, if we're distracted. Sorry, Kenny, you're not a baby. You're a man in your own right. Uh, Carrying a baby. Um, If we're distracted by this greed or this wealth, which the world is constantly trying to distract us with, then we will go out of kilter with the free soul that Jesus would have us to have. There's a generosity, it seems to me, about the Christian. There's also a thankfulness that we should have. Give thanks. When we give thanks to God for what we have, it might stop us seeking for more. We looked at that just a few weeks ago in Colossians. But let me conclude by um, coming to that passage, which I think maybe in some way sums this up. Just a few scriptures to end by. I'm trying as best I can this morning to, to look at this by giving you out some scriptural stuff that might be useful as you work out your enough, which might be different than our enough. 
which certainly will be different, I imagine, than David Beckham's enough, and certainly take us from this cultural thing which drives us to think we need more. Matthew 6 is a great way to look at it, is it not? Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moss or corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place you will most want to be. It's the crucial thing here. God wanting our treasure to be the right treasure because that's where our hearts will be. Your eyes are windows into your body. If, you're open, if you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is dank cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what dark life will you have? You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one god, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. If you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you won't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. This is Eugene Peterson. It's very powerful. There is far more to your life than the food in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes that you hang in your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to job descriptions, careless in the care of God. Careless in the care of God. And you count far more than the birds. Has anyone by fussing in front of a mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? I tried it. I wanted to be centre forward. It didn't work for me. All this time and money wasted on fashion, do you think it makes much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never pimp or shop. But they have, have you ever seen colour and design quite like that? The ten best dressed men and women in the country go to Fitzroy and they look shabby alongside them. Well, I added a little bit in there. If God gives such attention to the appearance of the wildflowers, most of which are never seen, don't you think he'll attend to you? Take pride in you. Do the best for you. What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax. To not be so preoccupied with getting. So you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the ways he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality. God initiative. God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what he may or what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help us to deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. A switching of focus. Switching our focus from how the world focuses to a complete antithesis of focus. From earth and those things that are seen, not that they're bad in themselves, but to eternal, invisible things. Trust and love. Definitely finishing now. Desi, the last time, a while back, when I spoke on similar subjects, did a prayer and he read from in the prayer from Proverbs 30, verses 7 to 9. And I actually thought that was a better sermon than the one I'd prepared. Um, it, was, it was stunning. And um, I want to read it again to you because this is the wisdom at the end of a sermon on greed. Proverbs 30 and 7 says, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. 
Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of God. Why does God want a sufficiency of enough? Because he reckons if we have too much, we might not need him. We might get by on our own money. I lived in Vancouver for a few months. West Vancouver is so wealthy that this morning you will never find a church with as many people in it as this because they've decided we have all that we need. We don't need God. Why would we need God? We have money. God was saying if we have too much, we might be distracted. Or he understands that if we have too little, we may become thieves. So he wants us to have the daily manna amount. So he wants us to have our daily bread. He wants us to settle for the spirituality of enough. How we work that out in our world is difficult. But it's the goal. Because in finding that goal, we free our souls up to be as potent as we can possibly be. Let's pray. Lord, shift our focus from our own efforts to gather more to the birds who have enough. From our own attempts to look good to the roses in their springtime magnificence. Lord, shift our focus. From the feeble efforts to change who we are, to opening up to what your love longs to make us. From waiting until we're good enough for God, to having your strength made perfect in our weakness. God, shift our focus. From the selfishness of being stuck in a moment to the usefulness of living for the eternal. From the slavery of the things that we see to the freedom of living in the spirit unseen. God, shift our focus. From the love that you're craving to receive to the love that we're able to give from what we think the world owes us to what we can do for the world, God, shift our focus. Amen. There was a debate going on last Sunday night in um, Evolve, I think. Is God interested in our money? And I came to the door and didn't realize I was on video and they dragged me in and I said, yes, he is. If he's Lord of everything, he's Lord of everything. What is enough? The band are going to come and we're going to close by asking God to take our lives and let them be consecrated to him. We stand to close.
Give us joy in life's fulfillment and the right at times to cry. God, give us the strength to carry one another and the right at times to be the one who wilts. God, give us your grace towards holiness and the right at times to confess our guilt. Father, show us a bigger picture. Jesus, play us a longer song. Spirit, put us on a road that's straighter and deeper than the one we're on. Amen. Amen, Jack. Thank you. 